0: Good morning, my friends and neighbors, and welcome to Lord's Day Live! Good to see you this morning! Doodle Bible School! Look at us! Here we are all together. My lighting seems to be a little weird here. Does that seem a little funky to you? How's that? Is that any better? I don't know. Eh, It's okay. Doodle Bibles, because we like to doodle. You like to doodle? I like to doodle. We like to doodle. Look at us doodle. (laughs) Here we go, guys. All right. We are doing basic Bible. And if you don't remember, we're generally Genesis. Genesis. That's not even a word, but we're generally in Genesis. (laughs) In fact, we're specifically in Genesis. It's what we've covered the entire year, but we're almost done. Yes. Today is the next to last chapter. Can you even believe that? We've spent an entire year going through the 50 chapters of the book of Genesis. I'm so excited. It's just such good stuff. Generally Genesis, and uh, for those of you who don't know how this works, in segment number one, we do. Watch it. Here it comes. Eventually. There it is. Do the doodle. It's supposed to draw it out here, but evidently my, my computer's got a glitch. <laughs> and so it just plopped it on there, but it's supposed to draw it, you see, with the pen going, <laughs> doing the doodle. All right, here's what we're going to do here. What we're going to do is we're going to do the doodle, but first thing we're going to do is we're going to review what we've got so far. 36, 37, 38, 39. Here it goes. And then remember, all these have to do with the camel. The camel represents the brothers of Joseph. And they've got to go down to Egypt, back and forth, etc. Okay? All right. But now we're into chapter 39. <clears throat> you might recall last time in chapter 38, Jacob, Israel, he says, I'm about to die. And I want to see my favorite son. That would be Joseph. So Joseph comes with his boys. And in chapter 38, Joseph gets a special audience with his daddy, and his boys get a special audience with Jacob. And Jacob is going to bless the boys. That's chapter 38. Well, in chapter 39, Jacob's going to succumb. He's going to die. Okay, But before he does that, Jacob is going to spend most of the chapter blessing his sons. Telling them, this is what's going to happen to you in the future, or this is what I desire for you in life, that kind of thing. And so you've got, remember, this is a little icon that we've used for Jacob throughout, uh, or Israel. Uh, the little chef, remember way back in the day, he was a, kind of a mama's boy, and he stayed in the tent, and he cooked and all that kind of stuff with mama. Well, then, here we're going to find him many years later. He's going to die. He's going to pass away. And we're going to actually bury him in a very famous cave, uh, the cave of Machpelah, in which you're going to find there's more than just Jacob and Leah. Uh, there's also Isaac and Rebekah and Abraham and Sarah. And so the, the, the big three, if you will, the patriarchal age, those guys are going to be buried in the same cave, the cave of Machpelah. But anyhow, in chapter 39, Jacob is going to die, and that whole cave thing, he's going to say towards the end of chapter, that's what he wants. I want to, I want to be buried there. But you can see how the 39 plays out there. I think that's a pretty good clue. That's going to be easy for you to remember. But just in case you are having problems, let us go ahead and get our later and her lady and let's go ahead and see if we can do this, all right? <clears throat> now, again, I'm not very good. Gabriel is so good at this. We're just going to say that's a bowl, okay? And it's got good stuff coming out of it. That's his hand. He's holding that bowl. See there? Okay, now, what we're going to do here is, I don't even know how this works, but uh, this is his other side, and then he's got a long coat on, evidently. I don't know why that is, but evidently that's supposed to be that way because Gabriel said so. And then you got the head up here, and then we got the fancy little crazy hat, right? Because he's a chef, right? You know. Oh yeah, we need another arm here, something coming over here like this. And what is he? Oh, he's got a, he got a napkin or something over there. How's that? Is that any? Eh, it's not too bad. Anyhow, that's the one. And then you remember how we do the nine? Let's do it just one more time in case some folks are brand new. All right, you, you draw your nine. But then if you want to bubble it, make it big or, or whatever, then you you out you go outside that and you kind of trace it like this. Yeah. And then you take out the middle. That one was a little more complicated than I intended for it to be. But anyhow, you see how that works? And you got the nine. But the, the middle of the nine is supposed to be that tombstone. So go ahead and kind of go like this. All right. And then rip. You know what RIP stands for? Rest in Peace. Anyhow, there's your, See that you see the four, and the nine, 49. So what's going to happen is, Jacob, you're going to die. All right, that's 49, and I'm going to put it right up here so you can admire that throughout our time together. <laughs> All right, 49, Jacob blesses his sons, then he dies. We'll see the text here in just a moment. So if you're going to study for segment number one, there's five segments, I'd ask you to tell me what is the theme of chapter 49. You look in your brain and you remember the picture. little arm there, it's a little funky. I'm going to erase that little tiny spot there. Does that look a little bit better? Not really. (laughs) Anyhow, 49. Jacob dies, but he blessed his sons first. Okay, can you doodle the clue? Clearly you can because we done did. Let's be silly. A time to laugh, Ephesians three and four. There is a time to laugh, and that time is right now. Why couldn't the astronaut book a hotel on the moon? <laughs> number one, I didn't know there's hotels on the moon, and number two, I didn't know that astronauts couldn't book them. But let's just go with it. Why couldn't the astronaut book a hotel on the moon? Well, clearly he could not book a hotel on the moon because the moon was full. <laughs> A full moon, get it? (laughs) That's not bad. It's an easy one to remember. Not quite as funny as some of them, but sometimes easy, rememberable. It's better than not having anything at all. You know what I'm saying? There you go. All right. Segment number two. See this two? Came up here and there's that guy, and then he says stuff like make a memory. All right. What we do in segment number two is we try to take some stuff and stick it in the brain so it doesn't go nowhere. You know, it's going to stay right in there. All right. So in making a memory... We choose a verse from that particular chapter, and we try to memorize the verse. And I'm going to choose chapter 49, verse 33. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. You notice how I kind of read that choppy? Well, the reason is because if you will take each line and say each line five times then move on to the next line. By the time you get to the last line, you've almost got the thing memorized, all right? But if that doesn't work, you can always leave blanks, like I have done hitherway. Take these blanks, and or write it down. If you use the ESV, use whatever translation your mom and dad wants. But uh, go ahead and write it down, put it on sticky notes, or wherever, and then put it all over the house. Every time you pass it, the rule is you've got to be able to fill in all the blanks. And you can't leave that spot until you fill in all the blanks. What if you're on the way to the bathroom? (laughs) Well, I would suggest that you memorize the verse if you're on the way to the bathroom and you can't leave until you've said the whole verse. You know what I'm saying? Because it could be an emergency. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Genesis chapter 49 and verse 33. Go ahead. Memorize that. Stick in the old gourd right there. You see it right there? Just stick it right in there and it'll stick right in there. All right. So for segment number two in test preparation, uh, I would ask you these two questions. Why did Jacob not? Why? What did Jacob do with his feet before dying? Did you see that? It's a little bit interesting. I didn't. I didn't point it out. No. I, no. You got to pay attention. Did you see it? You got to read it for yourself. What did he do with his feet before he died? <laughs> yeah. And can you quote the memory verse? Can you? I can't. <laughs> but you give me a little while. I'll say those five lines. You know what I'm saying? Leave blanks all over the place. And woo-hoo-hoo. Oh, yeah, even an old, old guy like Zonny Childs hanging from the ceiling up here. Even I can memorize. Yes, I can. <laughs> Let's be silly. Here's my dog friend. I just love you so much. We're coming to the end of the semester, which means I don't know how much longer I'll be able to enjoy our time together. But I'm sure glad that every time you come trotting out here in your fat little belly and you say, oh, boy, boy, boy another silly, it's been good to be with you, man. All right, here we go. The silly for this fine day is about a pirate. <clears throat> What's a pirate's favorite letter? Now, I know what you're thinking to yourself. Some of you are thinking to yourself, Sonny, we've done this before. In fact, we've probably done this more than once before. But I happen to like this joke. It's another easy joke to remember, and sometimes the easy ones are very important if you're trying to have a conversation with somebody, and you're you know, it's kind of awkward, and you're trying to figure out something in your brain to say. Well, just pop this one out. What's a pirate's favorite letter? Well, clearly a pirate's favorite letter is R. <laughs> and that's a cute little pirate over there, you got to admit. But it, uh, a pirate's favorite letter is R. Arrr. Arr, mateys! <laughs> I could be a pirate. My mom tells me that actually in our distant genealogy, we actually had a pirate in our family. I'm not sure that's something to be proud of, but it is unique. <laughs> R. Okay, here we go. All right, segment number three. What we're going to have in segment number three is we're going to ponder a passage. See the little guy here sitting on the pond. Well, he's not sitting on the pond. He's sitting on the deck, (laughs) and uh, he's humming. Hmm. I wonder. I wonder. I wonder. Well, what is he wondering about? Well, wondering about this right here. Here's your little picture. Notice right there. See it? See? Did you see it appear? Isn't that cool? All right. We're going to allow our picture to stay here because notice it's not covering up our text yet. The moment where it covers it, it's gone. All right. In Genesis chapter forty-nine, beginning of verse twenty-eight. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, if you read the previous context, he's he's enumerated them, and he's given them blessings and talked to them, etc. up to this point. And then it says, this is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Now, again, I didn't have space on the thing, so you're going to have to read back. It would be a really good exercise for mom and dad, you know, a family devotional kind of a thing. Read back in the previous context, and he lists all of them, And he talks to them each individually. He says, this is about you. This is about you. And he makes some predictions about their future, that kind of a thing. But notice that the blessing is going to come to each that is suitable to him. And that means that uh, each person is going to get what what Jacob or Israel believes is best for that person or is is most predictable about that particular person because of their traits in life or whatever. But that's your first question. Uh, He's going to bless them according to what is suitable for them. Then he commanded them and he said to them, I am to be gathered to my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah. That's east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought uh, with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess it as a burying place. So we get a little bit of history here. Abraham evidently back in the day, he buys this cave with the intentions of it being a burial place. And so being that it's a burial place, then we're going to find some really big names are going to actually be buried there over the years. As I already told you, Abraham and and Sarah, they're the first two to get buried in there. And then Isaac and Rebekah, that would be Isaac is Abraham's son, as you remember. And then Isaac and Rebekah, they are going to give birth to uh, Jacob, right? And Jacob, who's the second born, but he's the favorite uh, of God, Jacob is going to marry Leah, and they're going to be buried in that cave as well. But your question is, where is this cave? Well, it's in the field of Machpelah. There they buried, and this is what I just got done saying, there they buried Abraham and Sarah. So that's your first couple. That's one of the questions you're going to have. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah. That's your second couple. And there I buried Leah. I, here is Jacob, or Israel. And so that's your third couple that's going to be buried within that cave. So those are your questions that you're going to have. Ah, the field of the cave. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed. Breathed his last ones, gathered his people. That's the question about his feet. He put his feet up in bed, evidently laid back, and he died. And they're going to bury him then. They're going to carry his body back, and they're going to bury him in the cave of Machpelah. All right, so, <coughs> forgive me for my coughing. Segment number three questions are as follows. What type of blessing did Jacob give his sons according to what they deserved? How did it say that? Man, you have to go back and read it. Uh, and then uh, Jacob instructed his sons to bury him where? Cave of Machpelah. Well, You got the rest of them. See there? And so you get those in your head. There's only ten questions on the final test. But get those in your head and guess what's going to happen? They're going to be in your head. See what I'm saying? They're right there in your head. <laughs> All right. All right. By way of silliness, what do you get when you cross a centipede with a parrot? Now, that sounds like some kind of weird something or other. You got to know what a centipede is. A centipede has all those little feet, right? Like a long worm with a bunch of feet. And you know what a parrot is because a parrot, you know, it talks or mimics what you're saying, that kind of thing. So, take a centipede, cross it with a parrot. What kind of weird animal do you got? Well, I'm going to tell you what you got. You clearly got a walkie talkie (laughs) because he got so many feet, you know, so he's walking and a parrot is talking. So he's a walkie talkie. Okay. I got to get a drink while you laugh. I know you're still laughing. So just go ahead. Carry on. All right. Stop laughing. We got to move on. All right. In segment number four, we are going to do something really special. I call it the doing, doing, doing. No, I don't call it the doing, doing. I call it the apply the why. It's really my favorite part of the entire time together and due to Bible school because this is when we ask ourselves the question, why do we need to even study chapter 49 of the book of Genesis? Is there anything special in that that would touch my heart, make me a better person? Well, you know there is because that's right out the Bible. And here's one of the things I thought in chapter 49 was really special and would change you and make you a better person notice that it says he's going to bless them each with the blessing that's suitable to him. So he's going to speak to each of his children individually and he's going to say things to some of the stuff that he says isn't really very nice, honestly. He's going to predict that you've shown me in life that you're this kind of ornery person and guess what? You're going to have that follow through the rest of your life. Some of the stuff he says is just kind of brutal. But What he does in the blessing is he presents his vision of what's going to happen for them, with them, in the future. In what ways are you different from your siblings or or your cousins? Do you have a brother and sister? Do you have cousins? You know, more close friends? What ways are you different? Or maybe you're more quiet or or loud. Uh, What ways are you different? Well, you see, Jacob had all these boys, and they were different. They were unique. And so when he gives them the blessing at the end of his life, he speaks to their uniquenesses. Here's the question you're going to have to answer on your test, though. If you were to receive a blessing from your grandparent, what do you think they would say? Now, in this situation, it's not a grandparent. It's the dad to the child. But I wanted you to kind of picture an older person in your mind, because that's kind of what's happening here. Okay, An older person looking at you, so let's go with the grandparent maybe a grandpa, and he looks at you and he sees what qualities in your life. Perhaps in the years that you have been alive, he could recognize that you got a temper. Or maybe you're somebody who's very caring and you help people, whatever. What would he say as kind of a prediction of how your life is going to turn out or what he would like to have happen as far as your life is, is concerned? If you were to receive a blessing from your grandparent, what do you think they would say about you? That's your question. Well, I'll prove it to you because I'm I'm telling you, it is because I made this up myself. Here's your segment for what did I tell you. If you were to receive a blessing from your grandparent, what do you think they would say? I told you. That's going to be on your test. That's why it's called test prep. Prep means prepare. I'm giving you these questions ahead of time so that you can prepare for the big test. (laughs) Let's be silly. Now, here's our buddy. I don't know how long we're going to keep you around either because... You know, I, I think I've kept you around for two semesters now, and you have not smiled one time. You need an attitude adjustment. Somebody needs to comb your hair because it looks, it's everywhere. You know what I'm saying? And you need to learn to smile. Why are robots never afraid? I've never met a robot that was afraid, ever. Never once have I met a robot that's afraid. You know why robots are never afraid? Because, huh, cutting away, they have nerves of steel. I like the little robot there. Yeah, he's got nerves that he's made of steel. Everything in him is steel or plastic or something like that. That's why they're never afraid because their nerves, they got nerves of steel. <laughs> <coughs> made me cough. Oh no dear. All right. Segment number five. You gotta love it like this lady loves it. Segment number five is when we draw ourselves into a position of let's test. Let's just go right to the final test, put it right up here in front of everybody so you can see it, and then you can know what's on the final test. So there you go. Test number four. Oh, dear. Our picture's in the way. See you, buddy. Had to drop him out of there. There you go. There's your test questions. You got them. Look at them. There they are. I mean, they're right there. All you got to do is take a screenshot of that, and you'll have them. And then you'll know what's on the final. That is the final test right here. It's the test that's in the finalness. Did you get it? I love you guys. I'm so thankful that you're with me each time. Hope you're learning a lot. Sonny Childs, that's me, saying, be there. That's to you. Be there. Matthew 16, 26. Well, that was fun. Watch it, it's coming. There it is. Well, that was fun. If you thought that that was worthwhile and something that you would be willing to support, would you consider giving toward our mission that we have here to educate in such a, what we think is a fun, loving way, and ties the scriptures to the hearts of of young people, etc. Scan that. Here's our mailing address. Add us to your missions giving if you can. That would really mean a lot to me. It is prayer time, and uh, I've got several things that I am wanting to say uh, with regards to prayer time, but before I go there, let me make an announcement because I'm old and I might forget it. Um, As quick as I'm done with prayer time, I'm actually going to stop the live feed, and I will be, in fact, it's already been posted. I see that Cindy's already done it. Uh, There's a link in the comments section for the sermon. I'm going to run off. I don't often get to do this, but I'm going to go off, and and, uh, I'm going to be a part of a service where my son, my oldest son, leads uh, the worship service this morning, and I'm going to get to be a part of that, and I'm really excited about it but that's going to kind of throw me off a little bit. And so I'm not going to be able to be with you for the sermon segment in live manner, but I do have it already posted, ready to go so that you can uh, watch it as far as the recording. I did the recording yesterday, but before we go there, let's, uh, let's step through a few of the uh, uh, prayer requests that I have on my heart. Uh, Thanksgiving. I hope you had a good time. I certainly did with my family. In fact, you can see us all there feasting on mom's good food at her cabin. Uh, But, uh, let's keep Thanksgiving going all day, all, all day, all year long. Uh, my mom's uh, going to have her teeth extracted at the end of this coming week, and so would you uh, remember her? That's going to be a, a difficult time. My dad's UTI has—I uh, uh, I guess it's improved a little bit. He ran out of, of medicine, and and uh, last night he's he's got a little bit of a fever again, and he's struggling with a chest cold and that kind of thing. So be mindful of dad; he's struggling with his health in a big way. Uh, please join me each Wednesday at 7 o'clock as we are studying Reformation and Restoration, the difference between the two. This was a uh, a meme that I put up this past week with regards to the idea of the Reformation movement having an appearance of godliness because they do a lot of humanitarian stuff, build a lot of buildings, feed a lot of people, do those kind of things. But evangelistically speaking, they, they don't seem to excel there. And one of the reasons is because Calvinism tends to undermine the idea of knowing whether or not you're saved. And so if you don't know whether or not you're saved, it's just kind of guesswork. You just kind of go out there and just tell everybody. And uh, you don't really focus on this particular person as really being in need, because who knows who's saved and who's not saved, even though John tells us in First John uh, chapter 5, and verse 13, that we can know. But anyhow, please join me every Wednesday night. Bryson and Gabriel are still looking toward the possibility of going to Kenya. I think it's in March. But we got a lot of money to raise in order for them to make this trip. The way the world is turning out right now with the war in Ukraine, the war in Israel, and all that's going on like that, the world is just in flux right now. And so we're going to move ahead in faith that God's going to allow that to happen, but we don't know how it's all going to play out. So if you'd be praying about that and considering making a gift towards their trip, if you will, for Bryson or, or Gabriel. So they'd be able to make this trip. But very important to be able to get over there and, and talk with some of our students from the School of Biblical Studies. Uh, that Israel will repent. I, I wrote something this past week that I think some folks really thought was a little bit harsh. We, we tend to have this view of Israel like uh, Israel is you're not allowed to say anything bad about Israel because they're God's people. Well, the church is God's people. Israel happens to be a part, some of Israel happens to be a part of the church. And so we need to really recognize, first of all, that it is the church that's God's people. As part of the church, you've got Jews, you've got Gentiles. Okay, I get that. But there's almost this kind of implication. I've heard it from a lot of folks as they preach that you just can't say anything bad about Israel. Hogwash, nonsense. All of the prophets of old said something bad about Israel. And Israel needs to repent. And we got to stop waving the Israeli flag like it's some kind of a lucky rabbit's foot. And start recognizing if you really want to stand with Israel, stop standing and start getting on your knees and praying for Israel, that Israel will repent. I'm not suggesting by any, I don't take this, please don't take this the wrong way. I'm not suggesting that I validate what Hamas has done in any way. But I will tell you this. What Hamas has done recently to Israel is not unlike what Assyria did to Israel many years ago. Both cases are because the blessing of God has been removed, and God has allowed this traumatic experience to come upon Israel because they will not repent. I did a study just recently, and I'm told that some some estimate that up to 45% of Israeli adults, that would be 20 and up, up to 45% of Israeli adults, either claim to be secular, that is, I have no religion at all, or just outright atheists. Can you imagine a people with such godly heritage and 45% of them grow up to not even acknowledge God? Yeah, they are, they are ripe for repentance. And we need to stop waving their flag like it's some lucky charm and recognize what we need to do is start praying for these people, that they will repent. All the traumatized victims, war victims, some of those who are being returned to their homes, they will never overcome the trauma, I'm sure, in this life. They'll never overcome the trauma of what has been, what they've seen, what's been put upon them, etc., because of the animalistic behavior of some of these Islamic people called Hamas. Exposing the waste of God's money. I've put this up on several occasions before, but can you imagine if we would sell that big edifice that sits empty for the majority of the week? Echoes silence for the majority of the week. Sell it, invest in evangelism, and start establishing home churches throughout our communities. There's just, the benefits are endless. But I'll tell you one of the big ones is that we would stop emasculating the men and instead we would empower the men to start leading their own home church scenarios. And imagine what would happen as far as evangelism is concerned if we would ever get to that particular point. And then lastly, home church worship guides. That picture just really grabs my heart. That's what it's supposed to be, folks. Every Sunday, this is what should happen. We should gather our families together and we should have that intimate time with the Lord. In fact, this should happen every day. But because elders are afraid of losing their authority, they have not prepared young men to lead their own home church scenario. And it's sad. It's truly sad. But you know, as I always try to do, here is the, uh, the home church worship guide for this particular week, so that if you are convinced that you need to do it the New Testament way, here is one sample of uh, something that you could do that was patterned right after the, the uh, instructions that Paul gave to the church at Corinth. So go ahead and take full advantage of that. Good morning, my friends. Thank you for joining me for Lord's Day Live. This is the sermon segment. As we've been moving through the book of Genesis, we are trying to apply each of the chapters. I've been trying to take something from each chapter and show how it can be put to work immediately in our own lives. And we are in chapter 49. There's only 50 chapters, so we're almost done. It's been a wonderful journey. I hope that you've enjoyed the applications as I have enjoyed making them in my own life. But in chapter 49, forgive me, we're going to begin some wrap-up, tying some loose ends together, if you will. And in chapter 49, uh, Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel, but yet, interestingly enough, in this chapter is referred to as Jacob, he is going to pass away. And uh, we're going to make some preparations for that, etc. Not unlike what happened in the last chapter, but this one's going to be a little more specific to his own children. So, here we go, chapter 49. As you know, we always try to present five questions. I'll get my big head out the way, and you can screenshot that. There are the questions for your uh, own personal Bible study, or if you're part of the Restoration School of Biblical Studies, you can use those five questions to prepare you for the final test that comes out at the end of the week. All right, you got it? Chapter 49, really good chapter. I'm anxious to share this one with you. Sentimentality versus... Divine Arrangement. That's quite a mouthful for a title, but I think this chapter really gets summed up with that application for our own life. Uh, there's many applications you can make, but this is well, this is a big one for me, at least I think. Uh, it's something that I can see in my own life that I need to take in and appreciate the processes of God. <clears throat> God is so big, and He sees so much, and He's in control of so much, that Sometimes the things that he does doesn't seem to be as sentimental as you and I might uh, make them. And part of that is because you and I are a moment in time. You know, we got this little speck of existence, if you will, on the timeline of humanity. And uh, God sees it all. And I'm not suggesting that when we leave this moment in time that we end our existence. But I am suggesting to you that we haven't been part of the bigger picture all the way back to... Adam, Noah, Abraham, etc., And so God is, we see this one moment. I'm 60, I'm about to turn 61 years old. And so my 61 years are the most significant 61 years on the timeline as far as I'm concerned. And I think that God finds them to be very significant as well, but they are not necessarily the core. Uh, The the universe or the timeline of humanity does not revolve around Sonny Childs, even though that's kind of my perspective is all I've got, right? But God sees the big timeline. And so as he's interacting with the big timeline, sometimes the things that he does doesn't seem quite as sentimental as you and I might make them. Because sentimentality is largely rooted in self. And what revolves around me, my memories, the things that are special to me. Well, when you understand sentimentality versus the divine arrangement, you begin to recognize how that God operates from the big picture. And that sometimes the things that we prioritize are just not as important as we might think they are. In Genesis chapter 49, 29 through 31, uh, you're you're going to begin to see Jacob's last preparations for death. And um, from this text, I'm going to draw out three couples that are buried in the same cave. It's often referred to as the tomb of the patriarchs, uh, Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, all three of these, the big three of the opening days of of Judaism, uh, they're they're going to be buried in the same cave, the cave of Machpelah. Let's just read the text and then we'll move on. Then he commanded them, that is Jacob, uh, he commanded them, he said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought. With the field, uh, with the field from Ephron, the Hittite, to possess a burying place. So Abraham himself <clears throat> purchases this cave. Purchases this cave for the purpose of of burial, and it becomes quite significant. And I was reading yesterday that <laughs> uh, some some historians suggest that it's the second most holy site to the Jews, and that that might be true to the Jews uh, first being the Temple Mount, of course. But uh, as you can imagine, you know, where you've got your big three, the original three that start this movement, God starts it through them, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, this would be a very significant spot. I'm told there's a big old building that's built on top, of it. I don't know what it is with us on buildings. But anyhow, anyhow, uh, what you've got here is Abraham, he, he purchased this place. Now, verse 31 is going to be significant to our lesson. They There they buried Abraham and Sarah, that's your first couple, There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, that's your second couple, his wife. And there I buried Leah, I being Jacob or Israel. And so there's your third couple, the big three couples that are buried within the tomb of the patriarchs. But I find it interesting when you see who's buried there and you recognize their backstory, that there are are directions you and I probably would have taken in the storyline to make it a little more romantic to us, or sentimental to us, that God completely avoids. He says, I'm not really interested in that in this specific spot in the timeline. That's not my purpose. God's always focused on what's best, and his purpose was to bring the Messiah into the world. You're going to see in these three examples how that he does not give in to sentimentality, but rather the divine arrangement that has to be had. That's what God's going to stick with. Number one, (coughs) Forgive me for my hack. I want to point to Sarah and uh, Abraham here. Uh, I want you to notice that instead of the sentimentality of Ishmael, Isaac is going to be the one who's going to be be chosen. So it's going to be Isaac, not Ishmael. Uh, You might not think of Ishmael in a sentimental kind of way, but consider the story, the backstory, if you will. And Sarai said to Abram, notice this is back before their names had been changed, she says to her husband, she said, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. Back in the day, you might recall, the, the promise has already been made that Sarai is going to have children. But uh, she's struggling with that. And she's not sure what to what to do. Uh, the problem, at the very least, you can... You can be reminded that Abraham has been promised by God that he's going to become a great nation. And Sarah is his wife. Sarai is his wife. And, and uh, so they began to, well, specifically Sarai, they began to concoct this plan. It's a sentimental plan. I don't want to die without having children. I want to have a little one on my knee. I want to be able to go through the process of motherhood, all of those sentimental kind of things. And so here's what we're going to do, honey. I need for you to go sleep with my handmaiden. And in that process, which I'm told back in the day was common when a woman was barren, but uh, in that process that I will take her child and adopt that child as my own. Now, that didn't work out, as you know, the the further story of Ishmael. He was a a wild donkey of a man and, and all that kind of thing. So it doesn't work out. But the sentimentality is driving Sarai at this point. Saying God doesn't seem to be doing what I expected him to do. And so we need to help him out. And so here's what we're going to do: we're going to use our own initiative. And in our initiative, we're going to circumvent the promise of God. And I'm going to suggest to you you take my handmaiden and we'll have children from her. So you see the sentimentality of that. But God says, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to get off track with my plan just because you guys are all sentimental. Now, I will say this, Ishmael becomes a real problem for them, okay? And he's a problem even to this day, if you know much about Islam. But uh, the point is that sentimentality will often drive you in a direction that's opposed to God, which is what happens with Ishmael, all right? But God's not going to get off track with that, and so you notice you got sentimentality versus the actual plan of God, the divine arrangement. The Lord visited this. We're in chapter 21. See, this is 16. Now, 21 The Lord visited Sarah and she, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived, and she bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of the son who was born to him from Sarah, uh, bore him Isaac. And so we're going to have, Isaac is going to be, and so we've got the divine arrangement. Isaac is going to trump the Ishmael concept. I just noticed I didn't spell Ishmael right there. Sorry about that, guys. But uh, we've got my H. But we're going to see here that Isaac now is going to be the actual plan of God. Isaac is the, the promised child, not Ishmael. So maybe it's appropriate that I didn't spell Ishmael correctly because he's not significant to the plan of the Christ. Isaac is the, the one who, in the divine arrangement, Isaac is the one that we are going to see brings about the fulfillment of the promise that God has made to Abraham that you become a great nation through you. All the nations will be blessed. That is the Christ. So again, you see the sentimentality being driven by man, and God overrides it, and he said, Now, we're going to stick with my arrangement. Second couple, and by the way, throughout, I never get the H back in there. I'm pretty confident, so just forgive me for Ishmael being constantly misspelled there. Second couple that we're going to find buried within the cave of Machpelah, is um, Isaac and Rebecca. And so when Isaac and Rebecca have this relationship that you again are familiar with Abraham sends off to get away for him and Rebecca comes and uh, Isaac is co- uh, is comforted because of the loss of his mom by being married to his wife. It's a, it's a wonderful relationship, a lot of sim- sentimentality that is happening there. But you might remember how when children start coming along, that there's a little bit of a schism, maybe not a little bit, a lot of bit, of a schism within the home. It seems doesn't seem it is. Ab- uh, excuse me. Isaac's favorite child is Esau, and Mama's favorite child is Jacob. Well, watch the text. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, he called Esau. Now that would make sense because Esau is his oldest child, but he he favors Esau even though it's not it's not just the fact that he's the oldest child. His oldest son. He said to him, "My son." And the answer here, I am. He said, "Behold, I am old. I do not know the days of my death. Uh, now, then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt and game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love. I love it, son, when you bring me in some of that fresh food from the field. You know it. Oh, I love that. You see the favoritism there, the sentimentality, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So you see the intention." Of Isaac. Isaac has this desire to bless Esau. Esau is going to be my favorite or is my favorite and he's going to receive the grand blessing. Evidently in Isaac's eyes uh, with regards to the fulfillment of the promise that was given to his daddy Abraham evidently he's thinking Esau is going to be the one that's going to bring about these this great nation of people and is going to bring about this great blessing upon all peoples. But that's not the case, because God's not going to be distracted by sentimentality. It's all well and good that that Isaac liked his son's hunting and all that, but that's not going to get it, as far as God's arrangement is concerned. The divine arrangement is this. So we're going to skip now from chapter 27 to 28. Then Isaac calls Jacob, and he blesses him, and he directs him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram." to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban your mother's brother this is a little out of character it seems from the from the, the storyline because now all of a sudden Jacob is blessing his youngest son when he wanted to bless Esau Jacob prior to this was pretty upset that he was tricked into the uh, the the whole process that, that is true But once things settle down a little bit, and he recognized what's happening in the camp, and evidently Mama has come and talked to Dad, and they they begin to think this whole thing through, Esau's mad as a hornet. He wants to kill his brother. And so Daddy says, okay, son, you're going to have to leave camp. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I want you to take a wife of the Canaanites. Uh, not, Not take a wife of the Canaanites, forgive me. If you continue to read in context, it's interesting that Esau... Out of spite, because he knows his daddy doesn't want him to marry a Canaanite woman. He goes and he marries a Canaanite woman. Okay, So God always knows what he's doing. But in the divine arrangement, we've got Jacob, whose name eventually will be turned to Israel. Jacob is going to be the child of promise. Instead of the sentimentality... But man, I love your food. Esau, I think we're going to make you the blessed one. No, God says we're going to stay. We're going to stay in motion with what I got going here. And Jacob, though the second born, Jacob is actually going to be the one who is part of the divine arrangement. Now, it's the third couple that I find to be most intriguing of all, and that, of course, <clears throat> is going to be uh, Jacob and Leah. But they're going to bring about Judah and Joseph. And the reason I find this to be most intriguing is because you know as well as I do the coat of many colors, the dreams that Joseph had, uh, the, uh, the 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 glowing statements that you're going to see here in just a moment that uh, Jacob is going to make about his his son Joseph. Joseph is is born to his favorite wife. Joseph is the one who's going to receive all kinds of favor by his daddy, which eventually is going to lead to a lot of jealousy, which is eventually going to lead to him being thrown into the pit, which is eventually going to lead to him being sold off into slavery, etc., etc. But it's not, you know, you're hard-pressed to read the story of Jacob and Joseph and not see that Joseph's the favorite child, right? So the sentimentality here, it's pretty rich. In chapter 48 and verse 11, Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. This is, of course, after Jacob has come down from Canaan, the Canaan land, and he is now dwelling in Egypt because of the great famine. He's overwhelmed with joy that his son is alive. He thought that he had been torn to bits by a wild animal. And so he's just, he's just overwhelmed with joy. And as he approaches his end, chapter 48 is when he blesses the boys of Joseph, remember? Chapter 49 is when he's going to bless his own children, Jacob, that is. But here we're talking about Joseph and Joseph's boys. And the thing that Jacob says to Joseph, is I didn't think I'd ever see you again. I thought you, were, I thought you were dead and gone. But not only have I got to see your face, and it sounds like that uh, Jacob probably got to live down there in, in Egypt more than a decade. Uh, he got to see his face, got to witness his grandchildren. Pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. Sentimentality. I've often wondered why God didn't make Joseph the, the one through whom the lineage of Christ would come. And I honestly, I don't know why he didn't. But he didn't. He didn't. Joseph comes from the favorite wife. But you're going to notice the favorite wife doesn't even get buried in the cave of Machpelah. Jacob is going to have with him in death, if you will, his second wife wife Leah who he never expected to get and yet this is God's divine arrangement notice Genesis 49 one chapter later Jacob as he's about to die he passes on the blessings to his children he says to Judah Judah is a lion's cub from the prey my son you have gone up he stooped down he crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him you got the lion scenario here lion of Judah You've heard that rephrase, that phrase in reference to Jesus. But then notice verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. <clears throat> Again, further promise of Jesus and what will come. Jesus being of the, uh, the the lion of Judah, uh, and Jesus having this eternal scepter, ruler of the nations, etc. This is going to be Jesus, who's going to be the ultimate fulfillment of what takes place here. But I want you to notice That this promise is going to come through Judah, not Joseph. Even though Joseph's sentimentality, even though Joseph seems to be the one we'd want to tie into, it's Judah. Judah is going to be the one. Now, again, I have to admit that as I go back through this list and I look at the three couples that are buried in the cave of Machpelah, I consider their backstory. I consider the sentimentality. There's a few of these moments of sentimentality that I just don't understand why God didn't go with it. That would have been so sweet. you know. Why not, especially the Joseph one, why not bring the the Christ through the lineage of Joseph? I don't know, but I do know this. God's not so much about sentimentality as he is about staying the course, his divine arrangement will be the arrangement that goes. So, Isaac, not Ishmael, and again, I didn't even get my H here. Boy, I will mess messed that up, didn't I? Isaac, not Ishmael, Jacob, not Esau, Judah, not Joseph. Because it's not about sentimentality. It's about the arrangement made by the divine creator himself. Here are the five questions we attempted to, oh, I don't know what that is. Sorry about that. Yeah, there's five questions. I got an extra screen in there for some reason. There's the five questions we tried to come through and uh, answer those. I think we did pretty good. Don't you find that one interesting? That Jacob will be laid to rest not with his favorite wife, but with Leah, who he never expected to get. Another big application, I suppose, to God and the way God... God's going to get His way through His ways, and you and I might as well just appreciate that and come to a, enjoy the adventure with God. I'll get my head out of the way. There you go. Got the five questions? Well, I love you guys. Thank you for being with me. I'm so thankful. This is Sonny Chow saying, be there. Matthew 16, 26. For those of you who continue to support my ministry, please know that I love you. Man, it means the world to me. Think about adding us to your missions giving if you have not already. It's the Lord's Day. And so, as I say each day, each time we set this thing up, keep it simple, keep it innocent, and keep it meaningful. He deserves your best. I love you. Sonny Chow saying, Be there. Matthew 16, 26.